Chapter Twelve of Jewish Children by Shalom Alechem. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Jewish Children, Yudish Kinder by Shalom Alechem, translated by Hannah Berman and read by Adrian Pretzelis. Chapter Twelve, The Dead Citron. My name is Lieb. When I am called up to read the portion of the law, it is by the name of Yehuda Lieb. At home I sign myself Leif Moskowitz. Among the Germans I am known as Herr Leon. Here in England I am Mr. Leon. When I was a child I was called Liebel. At Cheder I was Lieb Dreeb Obderich. You must know that at our Cheder Every boy has a nickname. For instance, Mottle Kapottle, Maya Dryer, Mendel Fendel, Chayam Chlayam, Ipsit Chiptig, Beryl Zap. Did you ever hear such rhymes? That Itzik rhymes with Shipzik, and Mendel with Fendel, and Chayam with Chlayam is correct. But what has Beryl to do with Zap? Or how does Lieb rhyme with Obderick? I did not like my nickname and I fought against it. I got blows and thumps and smacks and whacks and pinches and kicks from all sides. I was black and blue, because I was the smallest in the cheder, the smallest and the weakest and the poorest, no one defended me. On the contrary, the two rich boys tortured me. One got on top of me, and the other pulled at me by the ear, whilst the third, a poor boy, sang a song to tease me. "'Just so, just so, give it to him, punch him, bang him, his little limbs, his little limbs, just so, just so!' At such times I lay quiet as a kitten, and when they let me go I went into a corner and wept silently. I wiped my eyes, went back to my comrades, and all was right again. Just a word, whenever you meet the name Liebel, in the story, you will know it refers to me. I am soft as down, short and fat. In reality I am not so fat as I look. On the contrary, I am rather bony, but I wear thick, wadded little trousers, a thick, wadded vest, and a thick, wadded coat. You see, my mother wants me to be warm. She is afraid I might catch cold, God forbid and she wraps me in cotton-wool from head to foot. She believes that cotton-wool is very good to wrap a boy in, and must not be used for making balls. I provided all the boys with cotton-wool. I pulled it out of my trousers and coats until she caught me. She'd beat me and whacked me, and thumped me, and pinched me. But Liebel went on doing what he liked, distributing cotton-wool. My face is red, my cheeks rather blue, and my nose always running. "'Such a nose!' cries my mother. "'If he had no nose he would be all right. He would have nothing to freeze in the cold weather.' I often try to picture to myself what would happen if I had no nose at all. If people had no noses, what would they look like? Then the question is—but I was going to tell you the story of a dead citron, and I have wandered off to goodness knows where. I will break off in the middle of what I was saying, and go back to the story of the dead citron. 
My father, Moshe Yankel, has been a clerk at an insurance company's office for many years. He gets five and a half roubles a week. He is waiting for a rise in wages. He says that if he gets his rise this year, please God, he will buy a citron. But my mother, Bassie Bella, has no faith in this. She says the barracks will fall down before father will get a rise. One day, shortly before the new year, Liebel overheard the following conversation between his father and his mother. He, though the world turn upside down, I must have a citron this year. She, the world will not turn upside down, and you will have no citron. He, that's what you say. But supposing I have already been promised something towards a citron. She, it will have to be written into the books of jests. In the month called after the town of Kremenitz, a miracle happened. A bear died in the forest. But what then? If I do not believe it, I shall not be a great heretic either. He, you may believe it or not. I tell you that this feast of tabernacles we shall have a citron of her own. She, O、oh, main, may it be so from your mouth into God's ears. O、oh, main, O、oh, main. Repeated Leibel in his heart, and he pictured to himself his father coming into the synagogue like a respectable householder with his own citron and his own palm branch. And though Moshe Yankel is only a clerk, still when the men walk around the ark with their palms and their citrons, he will follow them with his palm and citron. And Leibel's heart was full of joy when he came to Cheder. He at once told every one that this year his father would have his own palm and citron, but no one believed him. What do you say to his father? Asked the young scamps of one another. Such a man, such a beggar amongst beggars, desires to have a citron of his own. He must imagine it is a lemon or a groschen apple. That is what the young scamps said. And they gave Liebel a few good smacks and thumps and punches and digs and pushes, and Liebel began to believe that his father was a beggar amongst beggars, and a beggar must have no desires. But how great was his surprise when he came home and found Reb Hansel sitting at the table in his Napoleonic cap, facing his father. In front of them stood a box full of citrons. The beautiful perfume of which reached the furthest corners of the house, the cap which Reb Hensel wore was the sort of cap worn in the time of Napoleon the First. Over there in France, these caps were long out of fashion, but in our village there was still one to be found, only one, and it belonged to Reb Hensel. The cap was long and narrow; it had a slit and a button in front, and at the back two tassels. I always wanted these tassels. If the cap had fallen into my hands for two minutes, only two, the tassels would have been mine. Reb Hensel had spread out his whole stock in trade. He took up a citron with his two fingers and gave it to father to examine. Take this citron, Reb Moshe Yankel. You will enjoy it. A good one. Asked my father, examining the citron on all sides as one might examine a diamond. His hands trembled with joy, and what a good one! Replied Reb Hensel. The tassels of his cap shook with his laughter. 
Moshe Yankel played with the citron, smelled it, and could not take his eyes off it. He called over his wife to him, and showed her with a happy smile the citron, as if he were showing her a precious jewel, a priceless gem, a rare antique, or an only child, a dear one. Bassibella drew near, and put out her hand slowly to take hold of the citron, but she did not get it. "'Be careful with your hands, a sniff, if you like.' Bassibella was satisfied with a sniff of the citron. I was not even allowed to sniff it. I was not even allowed to go near it, or even to look at it. "'He is here, too,' said my mother. "'Only let him go near it, and he will at once bite the top off the citron.' "'The Lord forbid!' cried my father. "'The Lord preserve us!' echoed Reb Hensel, and the tassels shook again. He gave father some cotton wool into which he might nest the citron. The beautiful perfume spread into every corner of the house. The citron was wrapped up as carefully as if it had been a diamond or a precious gem, and it was placed in a beautiful round, carved, painted, and decorated wooden sugar-box. The sugar was taken out, and the citron was put in instead, like a beloved guest. "'Welcome thou art, Reb Citron, into the box, into the box!' The box was carefully closed, and placed in the glass cupboard. The door was closed over on it, and good-bye. "'I am afraid the heathen—that was meant for me—will open the door, take out the citron, and bite its top off,' said my mother. She took me by the hand, and drew me away from the cupboard. Like a cat that has smelt butter, and jumps down from a height for it, straightens her back, goes round and round, rubbing herself against everything, looks into everybody's eyes, and licks herself, in like manner did Liebel, poor thing, go round and round the cupboard. He gazed in through the glass door, smiled at the box containing the citron, until his mother saw him, and said to his father that the young scamp wanted to get hold of the citron, to bite off its top. "'Tekeda, you blackguard! May you never be thought of, you scamp!' Liebel bent his head, lowered his eyes, and went off to Cheda. The few words his mother had said to his father about his biting off the top of the citron burned themselves into Liebel's heart, and ate into his bones like a deadly poison. The top of the citron buried itself in Liebel's brains. It did not leave his thoughts for a moment. It entered his dreams at night, worried him, and almost dragged him by the hand. "'You do not recognize me, foolish boy. It is I, the top of the citron.' Liebel turned round on the other side, groaned, and went to sleep. It worried him again. "'Get up, fool! Go and open the cupboard. Take out the citron and bite me off. You will enjoy yourself.' Liebel got up in the morning, washed his hands, and began to say his prayers. He took his breakfast and was going off to Cheda. Passing by, he glanced in the direction of the glass cupboard. Through the glass door he saw the box containing the citron and he imagined the box was winking at him. "'Over here! Over here, little boy!' Liebel marched straight out of the house. One morning, when Liebel got up, 
he found himself alone in the house. His father had gone off to business, his mother had gone to the market. The servant was busy in the kitchen. "'Every one is gone. There isn't a soul in the house,' thought Liebel. Passing by, he again looked inside the glass cupboard. He saw the sugar-box that held the citron. It seemed to be beckoning to him. "'Over here, over here, little boy!' Liebel opened the glass door softly and carefully, and took out the box—the beautiful, round, carved, decorated wooden box—and raised the lid. Before he had time to lift out the citron, the fragrance of it filled his nostrils—the pungent, heavenly odour. Before he had time to turn around, the citron was in his hand, and the top of it in his eyes. Do you want to enjoy yourself? Do you want to know the taste of paradise? Take and bite me off. Do not be afraid, little fool. No one will know of it. Not a son of Adam will see you. No bird will tell on you." You want to know what happened? You want to know whether I bit the top off the citron, or held myself back from doing it? I should like to know what you would have done in my place if you had been told ten times not to dare to bite the top off the citron. Would you not have wanted to know what it tasted like? Would you not also have thought of the plan to bite it off and stick it on again with spittle? You may believe me or not, that is your affair, but I do not know myself how it happened. Before the citron was rightly in my hands, the top of it was between my teeth. The day before the festival father came home a little earlier from his work to untie the palm-branch. He had put it away very carefully in a corner, warning Liebel not to attempt to go near it. But it was useless warning him. Liebel had his own troubles. The top of the citron haunted him. Why had he wanted to bite it off? What good had it done him to taste it? when it was bitter as gall. It was for nothing he had spoiled the citron, and rendered it unfit for use. That the citron could not now be used, Liebel knew very well. Then what had he done this for? Why had he spoiled this beautiful creation, bitten off its head, and taken its life? Why? Why? He dreamt of the citron that night. It haunted him, and asked him, why have you done this thing to me? Why did you bite off my head? I am now useless, useless!" Liebel turned over on the other side, groaned, and fell asleep again. But he was again questioned by the citron. "'Murderer! What have you against me? What had my head done to you?' The first day of the Feast of Tabernacles arrived. After a frosty night the sun rose and covered the earth with a delayed warmth like that of a stepmother. That morning Moshe Yankel got up earlier than usual to learn off by heart the festival prayers, reciting them in the beautiful festival melody. That day also Bassi Bela was very busy cooking the fish and the other festival dishes. That day also Zalman, the carpenter, came to our tabernacle to make a blessing over the citron and palm before any one else, so that he might be able to drink tea with milk and enjoy the festival. 
"'Zalman wants the palm and the citron,' said my mother to my father. "'Open the cupboard and take out the box, but carefully,' said my father. He himself stood on a chair and took down from the top shelf the palm and brought it to the tabernacle to the carpenter. "'Here, make the blessing,' he said. "'But be careful in heaven's name, be careful.' Our neighbour Zalman was a giant of a man, may no evil eye harm him. He had two hands, each finger of which might knock down three such lebels as I. His hands were always sticky, and his nails red from glue, and when he drew one of these nails across a piece of wood there was a mark that might have been made with a sharp piece of iron. In honour of the festival Zalman had put on a clean shirt and a new coat. He had scrubbed his hands in the bath with soap and sand, but had not succeeded in making them clean. They were still sticky, and the nails still red with glue. Into these hands fell the dainty citron. It was not for nothing Moshe Yankel was excited when Zalman gave the citron a good squeeze and the palm a good shake. "'Be careful! Be careful!' he cried. "Now." Turn the citron head downwards and make the blessing. Carefully, carefully, for heaven's sake, be careful. Suddenly Moshe Yankel threw himself forward and cried out, Oh! The cry brought his wife, Bassi Bella, running into the tabernacle. What is it, Moshe Yankel? God be with you. Coarse, blackguard, man of the earth, he shouted at the carpenter, and was ready to kill him. How could you be such a coarse blackguard? Such a man of the earth! Is a citron an axe, or is it a saw, or a boar? A citron is neither an axe, nor a saw, nor a boar. You have cut my throat without a knife. You have spoiled my citron. Here is the top of it. Here, see, coarse blackguard, man of the earth! We were all paralysed on the instant. Zalman was like a dead man. He could not understand how this misfortune had happened to him. How had the top come off the citron? Surely he held held it very lightly, only just with the tips of his fingers. It was a misfortune, a terrible misfortune. Bassi Bella was pale as death. She wrung her hands and moaned. When a man is unfortunate he may as well bury himself alive and fresh and well, right in the earth. And Liebel? Liebel did not know whether he should dance with joy because the Lord had performed a miracle for him, released him from all the trouble he had got himself into, or whether he should cry for his father's agony and his mother's tears, or whether he should kiss Zalman's thick hands with the sticky fingers and the red nails because he was his redeemer, his good angel. Liebel looked at his father's face and his mother's tears, the carpenter's hands, and at the citron that lay on the table, yellow as wax, without a head, without a spark of life, a dead thing, a corpse. "'A dead citron,' said my father, in a broken voice. "'A dead citron,' repeated my mother the tears gushing from her eyes. "'A dead citron,' echoed the carpenter, looking at his hands. He seemed to be saying to himself, "'There's a pair of hands for you. May they wither!' "'A dead citron,' said Liebel in a joyful voice. 
But he caught himself up, fearing his tones might proclaim that he, Liebel, was the murderer, the slaughterer of the citron. End of chapter 12